because that night my husband stabbed me. Um, Welcome to another episode of Real Talk No Filter. My guest today is Leticia. She reflects on her upbringing and the challenges that she faced, which led to her trying to seek out, um, in quotation, her knight in shining armor. In doing so, she met her husband, which unfortunately stabbed her. From this traumatic experience, she started to become a life coach in which she coaches women that are in similar situations as her to find success. Hi, David. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. So I am originally from Bermuda. Um, I was born and raised there. I moved to England about eight years ago um, to pursue a career in commercial insurance. And um, I moved to England because I wanted an opportunity to start over. At the age of 14, I entered into an inappropriate relationship with a man that was twice my age. And the reason why that relationship was so special to me was when I was seven years old, I was told by a family member that my birth was the reason why my parents divorced. And I carried that heaviness for a long time even up into my 20s, to be honest. But it left me kind of looking for love. Both my parents um, remarried. Both my step-parents made their dislike for me known. So I was in, I was stuck between two families without a place, you know? So I spent a lot of time looking for validation, looking for love. And here comes along this guy who I thought was my knight in shining armor. So you know, that relationship progressed. And um, I remember about being 15 or 16, he choked me for the first time. And I had enough sense to be like, this isn't right and I'm not dealing with it. So I ended the relationship. Um, at the time I was still living with my mom and we, I moved back home. When I say moved back home, like, I was at this guy's house all day, every day outside of school. You know, I used to go home just to change my clothes and come right back out. So when he choked me for the first time, I moved back. Like I took all of my stuff, I moved back. And, you know, I hadn't been home like that in a while. Mm -hmm. um, one day, I don't even remember what the fight was about, but me and my mom got into a big argument. And I essentially got kicked out of her house. I was given a letter by a lawyer and told that I was not legally allowed on the property. So here I am, a minor, nowhere to go. And my family all thought that, you know, I'm a teenager, I'm the problem. So I was forced to go back to this relationship. And I think that gave him fuel because number one your parents don't love you number two you have nowhere to go and that I think is when the abuse really turned up it was a lot of emotional abuse um and the physical abuse became more frequent so you know it happened once apologetic but then it started happening monthly weekly daily at one point um and 
funny enough, during that time I was working in law enforcement. So for me, there was a lot of shame in being in this relationship, working alongside cops. I wasn't a cop, I was a customs officer, but working alongside cops, understanding the politics of policing and not wanting to put my business out there. I didn't want my coworkers to know how vulnerable I was. So I stayed in that situation. I hid my pains. I hid my injuries because I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be in a position where people were making assumptions about me like they did when I had issues with my parents. Even when I entered into this relationship, I spent a lot of time trying to justify why I was there. And I didn't want to have to explain myself again. And um, I remember he used to take money from me. You know, he used to barricade me in the house if we got into arguments. Um, it was a lot that happened. Um, during that time. And I remember uh, during that time, like a, a lot of my friends used to come to me for relationship advice because they saw me in this long-term relationship. By this time I had been with them for almost 10 years. Saw me in this long-term relationship, which on the outside looked shiny and pretty. You know, I put on a good front. And one night, one of my friends called me about her relationship. She was really at her wit's end. And as she spoke to me, I felt like she was telling my story. You know, she was living through abuse. She didn't know what to do. She felt like she didn't have anyone who she can go to and really explain her story. And I remember picking up a book by Ian Lovenzet called um, Until Today. And there was a, I randomly opened the book. And there was a passage that I read to her and it talked about how people are in our lives for a reason, a season and a lifetime. And we often find ourselves struggling with relationships um, when that person's season is up or the reason is over. And we sit there as them, it's like fighting against the tide. And I remember reading that and feeling like, it was almost like I was in church and the preacher was talking directly to me like the reason why this relationship isn't working is because his season is over in my life and that was an important moment because that night my husband stabbed me um and it was we fought over a cell phone. He took my cell phone and saw text messages, which weren't inappropriate. They were from um, a coworker, but he didn't want me talking to males. We were working on the same shift and we were working together, but that sparked a huge argument and he picked up a knife. And prior to this, I didn't have a great relationship with my mother, but I didn't want to call the police. I couldn't call the police. I did not want people to know my business. So I called my mother that night and I was like, listen, if you don't come get me, I don't know that I'm going to stay alive tonight. He was a raving lunatic. And I remember he, after I made that call, he, it was like a landline. He pulled the landline out of the wall. So I couldn't make any more calls. And I remember just trying to barricade myself in the room and hope that my mama either came or she sent someone to get me. And we were living with someone 
we weren't even in our own house. We were living with someone because the house that we were living in was damaged by a hurricane. <laughs> and I believe that his friend saved my life. His friend managed to get me out of the room and out of the house while trying to calm down his friend. At that point, I had already been stabbed. I was bleeding all over the place. And miraculously, my mom showed up about two minutes after I managed to get outside. So we left. And I went to my mom's house and she was like, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, I'll go to the doctor. I don't want a police report. I don't want, you know, I don't want a paper trail. I'll go to the doctor. And I remember sitting in her kitchen and she said to me, well, you can't stay here. I don't know where you're going to go, but you can't stay here. So I'm going to take you to the police station and they can protect you. So even in my most vulnerable moment, my mom was by my side, but essentially I was alone. And I went to the police station and they put me in, um, in a shelter where I lived for several months while I got on my feet. And I remember even going to the shelter at night, I used to, Bermuda is tiny, it's 21 square miles. Everybody knows everybody, you know what I mean? So I used to wait until like absolute curfew to try to sneak into, you know, the shelter because I did not want people to know that I was living there. Um, and eventually I got on my feet, <laughs> you know? So I spent years healing from that experience. I was angry at the world. I felt like, you know, what was my purpose? Why was I here? Why did I have to go through all of this? And I spent years in pain, years suffering really, because, you know, I had walked away from the abuse but I had literally been torn down mentally and emotionally. I didn't know who I was as a woman because I had been with this man since the age of 14. I had never lived on my own. I had never paid bills. I had, I had to literally recreate myself um, because everything I knew to that point, my identity was tied to a relationship with someone. So, you know, prior to that relationship with my ex-husband, I was someone's child. While I was with him, I was his girlfriend, his wife. So who was I? Who was Letitia? Without, you know, all of this additional references or meaning. And I would say it was a dark place. I, I went through a lot. You know, I think when I tell people my ex-husband stabbed me, they think, oh, well, that's the worst part of your story. But no, I went through a lot after that. I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. So as soon as someone showed me attention, I thought, this is it. This is going to be the one that was right. I saw myself in situations that... You know, you literally see in the movies, I had moved to Atlanta to go to Georgia State University. I had gotten a full scholarship to pursue insurance and I moved to Georgia. I met this guy. It was a quick and fast romance and we ended up moving in together. 
I lived with him for three years. I went to family functions with him. I spent time with his children. You know, I was around his family. And I went home one summer, left him in the apartment that I was paying for with my full scholarship. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go back for my birthday. I'll surprise him. And I walked into my apartment <laughs> and, found, <clears throat> and found his wife. <laughs> and I laugh now because, you know what? The signs were there. You know, had I been in a different state of mind where I was literally putting myself first and not letting people's sweet words woo me, I probably would not have been in that situation. But again, that wasn't what woke me up. <laughs> I left Atlanta. I moved back to Bermuda. I got an amazing job. And then I met this other amazing guy who was a crackhead. <laughs> and I didn't know. I didn't know that he was using. I did not know that he was an addict. Um, and his actions eventually got me arrested. He was stealing and I was in possession of his stolen property, of the stolen property. And that for me was my absolute low point. Here I was, somebody who spent eight years in law enforcement, arrested on my job, sitting in a cell, faced with myself, probably for the first time in years. Like, because it doesn't get any darker than that for me. Um, that was my rock bottom. And in that moment, then I had to explain to my mother behind glass why I was there. It was easy for me to say, wow, it was his fault. But the reality was that my actions, my decisions, my choices landed me in jail that day. And being able to earn that was the biggest turning point for me. Because then I realized, wait a minute, by blaming everyone else, I'm actually giving my power away. I don't have control of my life if I'm spending my time saying someone else controlled my actions. And in that moment, it was like, I want to be in control. I don't want the rest of my life to just pass by and me just be like, well, it's because of someone else. So I hired a coach. I hired a life coach. And that changed my life. So, you know, at the beginning of the story. I told you that I moved to England. Um, I moved to England after working with a coach because I wanted an opportunity to literally wipe the slate clean and define who I was without any history. So here I am in England, you know, starting over, reestablishing who I am. And, you know, I spent years focusing on my career, which I think at, at one point in time, that was a highlight for me because, you know, everything that I've done, everything that I've been through, I've made it. Um, I worked in Lloyds of London, which is the oldest insurance institute in the world. Um, there weren't many people that looked like me in that building other than security guards or cleaners. So to be in a manager's position, 
I felt like I had reached the top. You know what I mean? But even in that, I felt like I was controlled. I was a black foreign woman. Um, up until four months ago, I had knee length dreads, um, which I was very proud of because I remember when I started growing my dreads, somebody told me you would never get a job. So the rebellious side of me kept those dreads to prove that I can get a job, <laughs> even though I have knee-length knee dreads. But I had a manager's position. I was never trusted to make decisions. I was never allowed to fully step into my room. So it looked great on paper, but I was essentially miserable. I, again, was in a position where I felt like I was powerless. I was working very hard to be seen. And in one sense, they glorified my actions because I got stuff done. But I was always put back in my box. I was always put back in my place. Like, don't forget, <laughs> you're not her yet. And um, I had two children back to back. Um, the UK allows you maternity leave up to 12 months. So in three years, I was out of work for 18 months um, raising my children. And in that time, I was again faced with, well, who am I going to be? Because this cannot be it. I'm absolutely miserable at work. And, you know, I'm, extre I'm extremely intelligent. Um, I have spent most of my life dumbing myself down to keep people around me comfortable. And I, I, I'm finally, I was finally in a position where I, I, I wanted to stop dulling my own light. You know, I, I wanted to stop playing small. And I remembered how much my life changed after working with a coach. So I pursued coaching, which has led me to grow a business, which has allowed me to walk away from my nine to five and allow me to really work with women who are stuck in some way. You know, um, they are either, you know, stuck with the narratives that they're telling themselves. They are stuck in fear. They are unable to move forward. Um, and that, I believe, is what is making my story purposeful and impactful. Being able to take everything that I've been through and allow that to be a beacon of hope or light for someone else, it, it actually brings things into perspective for you. And, you know, I spent years often saying to myself, why? Why am I going through this? Like, why me? Like, why is everyone else seemingly having this amazing life why me and now I see why you know so there is so much gratitude with the experiences that I've had being able to take them and turn them into learning lessons for someone else I feel blessed to be in that position I feel blessed to be to be strong enough to take what made me a survivor and turn that into thriving so that I can impact the women in my, in my tribe. I don't know where to start. <laughs> and I love that. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm lost for words. 
and I love that feeling and I hate it at the same time. Um, your parents' relationship, you mentioned that earlier and um, how was it growing up with them? And even after everything that you've been through, I'm not sure if they're still alive now or not, um, but has it grown or, well, explain how it was growing up with your parents that I'll say did not love you or, or um, blamed you for the divorce and also how it, it was from then up until now, um, your relationship with them, has it improved or is it still the same? My relationship with my parents, I won't paint an ugly picture. You know, mm. um, I up until that point where I was told that I was the reason for my parents' divorce, I don't think that I have a memory of feeling unloved. I think that narrative too, to me, created a picture for me that at seven years old, I couldn't process. So, um, you know, I started disliking my mother <laughs> because I was the dearest girl. Mm -hmm. um, but I became hyper aware of how people responded to me because, you know, I'm being critical of myself, not really processing I, I couldn't process that. Um, then my mother got married. I would say me and my mom were really close. When she got remarried, that I think is when things really changed for me because her husband, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's all I could say. Yeah. I, I do not understand anyone marrying someone that you know have a child mm. and coming into that dynamic and treating the child like they are unwanted. I can never wrap my head around that. Yeah. So, you know, he made his dislike for me very clear. And my mom had two children back to back for him. So they were their own neat little family. I was not part of that puzzle piece. And that was made known to me. I spent a lot of time with my granny. I spent a lot of time with my aunties to get away from that dynamic. And there were certain circumstances. Um, I tried to commit suicide. And I remember my mom's husband making a show of it. You know, I was in the kitchen with a leaf and a glass of water. And he called my mom, my sisters into the kitchen, turned on the lights and said, let's watch her kill herself. And, you know, those type of experiences with, with my mom just standing there not saying anything, it was hard for me to process that she actually loved me. Like, I can't be important to you if this man is doing this and you're not doing anything to stop him. So I was very resentful for years with my mother. My father, on the other hand, I think I was slightly blinded to things that were going on in that dynamic. But I remember there was a time where my mom had kicked me out before she sought legal advice and I moved in with her, with my daddy and his wife. And I remember being told that his wife didn't want to raise somebody else's child. So I had to move back to my mom's. So that created resentment for me there. Um, and my, me and my father's relationship after that was touch and go. And it is non-existent in this moment. Um, because I think as an adult, I realized that no one owes me anything. 
but I don't have to put up with things from people just because we share DNA. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like that. Whew. <laughs> I'm still lost for words for a lot of things right now. Um, you mentioned a word and a phrase that I hear a lot of a time, and I want you to explain to me what it means to you. You mentioned um, you see men or the few men that you've been with as your knight in shining armor. Um, explain that. I'm a Disney lover. I grew up watching Disney. So in my head, based on the movies I used to watch, I had this narrative as a child that I needed to be saved by a man. Right? So like, you know, it was always this thought that this man's going to come in and rescue me from this horrible situation in my house. You get married young, they take care of you. I realize now that there's so much wrong with that narrative, but that's where I was operating from, right? So I felt, again, giving away my control, somebody had to save me from this circumstance. And that's what I kind of painted him um, in that moment. He was my hero. He was taking me out of what was darkness, but I didn't know I was literally going from the pan to the fire, <laughs> you know, but it, it, when I grew up, I always thought that, you know, someone else would save me from this. Not realizing that, like you said, you have to look within yourself to be saved before looking outside, um, which is very true, though. Um, I'm still lost, but it, um, I'm, I love it. I love this feeling. Um, I had a guest yesterday, and he um, was wrongfully accused of um, murder charges. The reason why I bring that up because when he mentioned, he mentioned to me yesterday that he was in prison for 16 years and when he came out, um, it's like he lost a part of himself. And at the same time, he had to relearn all that stuff. He went in at the age of 16, like, and I'm, the reason why I'm bringing this up because you mentioned something that's that's really just, I'm, I'm looked, I'm, I, I see the link. He went in at the age of 16, he was, someone's child he went into jail spent 16 years of his life life-changing experience he came out and now he has to fend for himself you pretty much did the same but not in prison but in a relationship you uh growing up or i'll say when you're born up until your parents told you what they told you which is unfortunate you were someone's child when you moved out um you were in a relationship that he was giving you everything that you wanted to like you mentioned, you could not identify yourself. And that's why I made that connection between him, you, and the person that was in prison. He, there's no identity. Everything was given to him. Everything was given to you. You couldn't, we weren't able to build who you are. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until you got out of that relationship, found yourself another relationship, and the same thing happened to you. <laughs> Left. And I think you found another relationship after that. I'm not sure if that's still going on or not. But, yes, I'm um, married to him. Okay, perfect. Nine years recovery. Celebrate Excellent. my husband. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm glad that happened because, again, you went into that dark stage or went back into that prism mm -hmm. where you did not know who you were until you came out, found the life coach. That's when you started to become who you are. And that was similar to him was, okay, despite him going 16 years in jail, he came out, still lived and had that psych that psychological effect of being in prison, 
before he said, you know what, I'm more than that. I've, ex- I've became more than that. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I'm, I'm going to have a podcast later on um, about uh, human being. And it's human being as you being. You mentioned again, and I've had, again, I'm just bringing up a couple podcasts. Like I wrote down a lot of notes. Um, my mother, mother, previous podcast, um, she mentioned everyone has a purpose. Mm-hmm. You going through everything that you've gone through, it sucks. And I'm telling you, it really sucks. You're telling me this and it sucks. I was getting angry and I wish I was there. There's a lot of people that would say the same thing. They'll probably punch the guy and beat the guy up. But I'm glad you survived because not a lot of people survived in those. And there's a two different survivals. One, you survived physically and, and mentally and emotionally you survived. Other people, they survive it physically, but still are emotional and, and, uh, um, and physical, sorry, psychological uh, um, scarred. You may or may not still have those scars or not, but at least I could see within you that you are starting to or have been healing which is fantastic to hear and see, which is, the, which is great. Um, I say all this because it leads me to my other question. How come you stayed in a relationship that you were verbally and physically abused for so long? Is it just because you just did not know where to turn to? Well, initially, I literally had nowhere to turn to. Like, I was 16, 17. I wasn't early enough to be on my own. My, mm. my family were like, Nope. Long-handed spoon. We're handling with you. You've made your decision. So I had to do the best thing that I could mm-hmm. um, with what I had. Um, and I think it's easy to ask why you still there if, if you don't truly understand the cycle of abuse. The exactly. physical abuse is usually the very last step, mm-hmm. right? We are broken down immediately emotionally um and that takes a bigger turn on you like like he's saying you know even after leaving it takes some people cannot get out of the damage that is done to them on an emotional level so for me initially i stayed because i literally had to keep a roof over my head um i wasn't old enough in my country to get a place on my own so eventually I got tired of it. I, I, I got tired and I knew I wanted more. And I think even when I look at all of the circumstances leading up to that night, I think it just, it happened in a way that it needed to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was aware that this relationship wasn't going to be long lasting, but I was scared to leave. Where was I going? Where was I going? I, I worked at the airport. He could find me. You know what I mean? Like, where am I going? And I think that speaks to how safe people feel leaving those relationships. You know, it's great to say you have a restraining order. I had a restraining order. He still showed up at my house and at my job. You know, Um, he still tortured me for months with a restraining order because the police come and they're like well there's nothing really we can do so it they wait until people are stabbed and killed and then you know so there's there's a question of safety there's a question of whether or not you can sustain yourself had i been an independent woman before that relationship perhaps i wouldn't have stayed 
but I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to pay bills. You know what I mean? Like my paycheck and mind you, I was getting good money. It went into a joint account that I didn't have access to. Mm. So where was I getting without any money? You know? So yeah, I mean, I don't have a definitive answer, but no circumstances that kept me there in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Like I wasn't looking for like a a definitive answer. It's again, like you said, you have that psychological warfare that happens. Um, Literally just, you just wanted to survive day by day, a roof over your head. Um, We look at human needs. The biggest thing is you just want a roof over your head, uh, a place to, a place to sleep and, and some food. And if you don't have those, you're going to stay in a situation or stay in an environment and what provides it for you which I fully agree. And the more you talk about those things, one idea that came into mind, I wish they actually teach something like this in the schools to uh, not just women, but just everybody. Because um, I think there's going to be a time in, in not everybody's life, but certain people's lives where they need that education factor saying, hey, if you're in this relationship, um, do this, 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 and that. Look for help going this way and that way. Um, I see I, there's TV's advertisement that says, hey, if you need help, call this number. It doesn't do much. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I, I honestly think it's something a uh, course should be taken uh, about how to survive in, in an abusive relationship. And, and it should be a mandatory uh, subject for everybody. Um, but that's just my opinion. I mean, it's uh, stuff that needs to be talked about. We don't talk about taxes. We don't talk about budgeting. We don't talk about exactly. real life stuff. And if we're educating people, why not educate them so they can get into the real world and actually live without coming out with all of this education and can't figure anything out? I 100% agree with you. And that's why I'm somewhat building this, my, my podcast. And that's why it's called Real Talk. It's let's talk about real stuff. Mm-hmm. And if and I would love it would be kind of cool if this channel became where somewhere someone searched up, hey, how to survive an abusive relationship. Hey, look at this podcast. Boom, boom, boom. And this is an information conversational um, podcast that, that that's I'm um, growing, and I'm mm-hmm. loving it, and I'm loving it, and I hate it, and I hate it because I hate hearing stories which people are defenseless, and I wish I was there or people were there to support them. Mm-hmm. that is what I hate about here about it. I love it because every story that I've been hearing, people are survivors. There might be later down the road, someone might not survive. I'm not saying they passed away, but it could be someone that's in an abusive relationship and they just want to talk about it. And therefore they're able to go look at, on, on, on my channel and look at other people that have dealt with it. And mm-hmm. could, therefore they could find a way of surviving. And therefore, they could come, let's say, a year or two after saying, hey, I've heard Letitia talk about this and this. I took her advice. I'm out. I'm more happier than I've ever been. And that's what this channel is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's been an interesting journey for me. One thing that you mentioned. I love it. Uh, thank you. Um, one thing that you mentioned, um, you got stabbed. And the funny thing is, is like I caught myself like cooking today. And I'm just like, ow. And I was like that. And right now it still hurts a little bit, but you got stabbed. <laughs> what was your initial reaction to that? Was it just like, oh, there's a knife in me? Like, I'm trying to figure out how that felt. And like, what, were, what, was, your, what was your process going through? Because you're looking at someone that, again, you 
probably loved at that time. Um, you looked at uh, a place like, hey, this is where I have shelter. I have food. I have a place to go. Now you get stabbed. What was going through your mind? Was it, okay, I'm just going to get stitches healed up and then come back to that situation? I know you said you called your mom and you left, but if your mom didn't take you and, and even though she said, okay, like if that, let's say that situation never happened and you weren't able to get to a phone, but you just put a towel over you, healed up, you're like, okay, I'm good. Would you have stayed? And maybe you, again, it's just a question. Uh, you probably don't know the answer because that's not how it, how it, how it uh, turned out. But just, just, I'm just going through just thoughts and ideas right now. There was so much adrenaline flowing. Mm -hmm. I saw the knife go into my body. I didn't feel it. It was almost like an other body experience. And it was, I don't remember even feeling pain. I felt the warmness of the blood. Mm. Like I, I was so removed from that, like that experience. It was happening to me, but it wasn't happening to me. So in that moment, there was a lot of adrenaline rushing. I didn't feel that pain until I got in the car with my mother. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I had been planning on leaving. I was looking for a way out. So in a way, as everything that was happening was happening, everything was unfolding that night, I, I remember saying to myself, is this what I've been praying for? Like, is this the moment that I finally get out of this? And then there was a flash, am I going to get out of her alive? You know, but it was, this, this has to be it. Like, if he's putting a knife, like, if he's really got a knife in his hand, this guy does not mean you any good. Like, you know, if, if, Everything that has happened to this point has not convinced me. The knife in his hand was like, because you don't pull a knife on somebody True. to be like, you know, I love you. Like, yeah. there's no going back from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Very, very true. Um, um, I like that, that you said that you, you said a key word, which is opportunity. And it's sad to say that that was your opportunity. And maybe that was the way the universe is saying, hey, I'm giving you an opportunity. Take it. Yes. <laughs> and it's harsh. But I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of people that have been in similar situations, probably not got stabbed, but maybe got hit once, choked. Um, there was probably some verbal abuse, but that's probably the universe saying, hey, this is an opportunity. Run, get out. It's for your best. And, and I think a lot of people don't hear that the universe or or whoever just whispering in the ear or that that situation saying this is opportunity for you to get better for you to get out of that situation um taken back to that shelter um how was that shelter uh, experience overall i was the only person in that shelter that was there for domestic violence so it was a it was a women's resource shelter like it was for women who were escaping abuse, also homeless women. So there were, I would say probably about 12 I was there at the time. And I felt very uncomfortable because I was probably the only one working. So I had my own transportation <laughs> and I was there actually because 
I was in a domestic violence um, situation. Um, I was given my own room for that reason, which made it a little easier for me because, you know, I've never shared a room with anybody, you know, <laughs> that would have been rough. Um, <laughs> well, other than a man, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> it would have been a little rough for me. So having my own room, um, being able to still maintain life, as it was, you know, getting up and doing work. And I think it made it not so bad. So I literally was there to sleep. And as soon as I can get up and go, I was going, you know? Um, again, I've, I've never experienced shelter, but was there opportunities within a shelter to gain help or access to resources uh, for that help or stimulate a mind as in books to read? Um, um, let's say a, a group of people to talk to um, stuff like that or is it just or is it simply just a place to sleep eat and then that's it the shelter that I was in was definitely attached to women's resources so they okay. um they um worked they got me a lawyer so that I can get a restraining order um they introduced me to the lawyer that processed my divorce so they really helped me get back on my feet um, that's good that's yeah good. okay um you mentioned about your coaching. Uh, you have a mindset coach and a business strategic, if I'm not mistaken. Business um, strategist, yeah. Strategist, sorry about that. Um, explain to me more about both of those. Okay, so when I started my business, my main focus was life coaching. And one of the things that really changed my life was being able to change my narrative, um, really question the beliefs that I had about myself, um, what I can accomplish, what I couldn't accomplish. And I realized that a lot of that was what was keeping me back. So initially my focus was really about helping women challenge the limiting beliefs, challenge those beliefs that they have been holding on to, releasing the toxic emotions that we hold on to for years, shame, guilt, embarrassment, anger, all of that, and then teach them how to align their actions with their core values. And I think a lot of people don't even, some people don't even know what they are, right? But they are, haven't spent the time to really understand what makes them tick what gets them excited, what makes them content and fulfilled. So that's what my business initially was, like really just focused on helping women move from that place of stuck and taking control of their lives and putting the power in their hands so they can make an impact, however that looked like. But in that, in that process, most of the women that I was talking to were also feeling very dissatisfied with their nine to five, wanting to start a business. And a lot of my clients asked me, well, how did you start your business? So any successful business person will look at that as an opportunity to grow and expand and be even more profitable. So that's what I did. And I, um, uh, interesting enough, my last reel, I spent years building new business units um, within my company. So building a business wasn't foreign to me. I wasn't building a business in my company, but I knew the process. So I took my zen of genius. I am very analytical. I am very process driven. And I created a program for my clients as they needed it. They were full of fear 
um, unsure of how to even get started. And I was able to take my knowledge and create a program that not only worked on the mindset, which I'm passionate about, but giving them the blueprint to build a solid foundation to a business. So, you know, I still work on the mindset very heavily because I believe in it. I like to say we can get women's minds right. We can change the world. So, you know, my focus is all about mindset, but also giving the women the opportunity to be self-sufficient and build their dreams instead of building someone else's i like that however i'm going to ask a question and i love it because um i remember seeing something online and i gotta ask this question we're so i just i'm i'm just my thought right now is that the society let's say for abuse for example um we go through and we see women abuse being abused we focus on fixing women, in a sense, uh, making sure that they get that they come out and they feel better, and they are um, uh, can are able to be sustainable and and be emotional, fit, and everything like that. But we don't focus on the people that are abusing them. So, I don't know if your coaching are you able are is your coaching also focus on men being abused or is it strictly just women my target audience are black women over 35 and that is who i serve gotcha gotcha i must that's a little bit better now because like i I hear i hear you like saying women 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 i'm not sure if it's if it's a niche market or not Mm -hmm. but okay that works perfect but yeah it's just like it's just something I've, i've always seen where there's always we always focus on the victim but we don't focus on the actual problem itself. And I think society itself, we should really focus, instead of throwing them in jail, saying, okay, yes, I know you did this, so I'm going to punish you. And then, okay, now we're going to care for the victim. But why not look at it saying, hey, guess what? Let's focus on the issue. Focus on, and that's why I mentioned earlier, I wish those were programs and, and educational tools um, that taught kids at a young age, saying this is how you're supposed to treat one another. This is how, in, um, if you're going to be angry, go outside and, and, and go for a walk, uh, um, write down your emotions, um, find other outlets instead of finding an outlet against somebody else. And that's where I was going with that. And I think if, if something like that was done, at a, especially at a younger age, it would be a lot better because you see a bunch of kids playing, kids will get angry at each other. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> But really, like, they go up to each other and they're like, oh, I hate you. Or they might, like, tap them on the shoulder. But if we, like, show them that at a young age and we start saying, hey, don't do that. Understand the reasons why behind it. We're, we're so focused on, on the doing of things, but we don't understand why. Why mm-hmm. did that person do that? Why? Where? And where did that, that child learn that behavior from? From yelling at another person. Where's that child learn that behavior from hitting somebody? If it's from the televisions and it's from the media, change the media. If it's from the family, then they have to be talked to. But again, if we had those educational tools at a young age, teaching that throughout the school, then that factor then stops the uh, family members growing up at a later age and, and a couple of generations after. If it's the media, then change the media around 
therefore we don't have victims of psychological and physical abuse. And therefore, in my personal opinion, the world would be a lot easier and better for everybody, to be honest. But I love that. And that's what we need to do. We need to address it at the root. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations that people have to be willing to have, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the reason why there isn't a lot of focus on the abusers is because a lot of them don't take ownership for what they have done right and in order for you to grow beyond that you have to be willing to take ownership i remember my ex-husband six hours later after stabbing me was confronted by my father he still mm -hmm. had my blood on him and was denying that he did anything to me that psychological yeah. dysfunction is present in so many so it's about really wanting to change and i think a lot of people are not in that space they don't want to take ownership for their actions which is why the cycle continues yeah very true um any final thoughts on your side well i just want to share this i believe that we are all here to make an impact i believe that we are all here for a reason and i think it's our responsibility to to be able to take what creates a survivor, heal so that you can be a driver. And I love saying to people, walk as if every step you take is about to make an avalanche because you're here to change the world. I love that. Perfect. Well, we'll end it on that, on that note. Leticia, thank you for coming on my show. It's been a pleasure.